Leviticus chapter 5. We are finishing up the last of the segments on the individual offerings. We'll be starting at verse 14 and going into chapter 6, verse 7. I'll just get a note. You actually note some small little um, footnotes in your Bible, at least in the ESV, showing that chapter 6, verse 1 continues on in the Hebrew Bible as chapter 5. And chapter 6 doesn't start to verse 8. This doesn't make a big difference, but just goes to show you that chapters and verses where they're marked is not inspired. And um, sometimes... You might have better choices than others. I actually think the Hebrew Bible probably made it a better choice keeping it um, together. It, it doesn't matter, but just, just pointing that out. Now, this is a short passage. If you remember three weeks ago, we read a quite a long passage on the sin offering. It was, a, it was a chapter and a half of Leviticus, and we read right through it, and you stuck with it. This is a short passage, and it's got a pretty easy topic, a pretty easy point. So I want you to think about what's the point of this passage as we read the next few verses, which are God's word. Leviticus chapter 5, starting at verse 14. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, If anyone commits a breach of faith and sins unintentionally in any of the holy things of the Lord, he shall bring to the Lord as his compensation a ram without blemish out of the flock, valued in silver shekels, according to the shekel of the sanctuary for a guilt offering. He shall also make restitution for what he has done amiss in the holy things and add a fifth to it and give it to the priest. And the priest shall make atonement for him with the ram of the guilt offering and he shall be forgiven. If anyone sins doing any of the things that by the Lord's commandments ought not to be done, though he did not know it, then he realizes his guilt. He shall bear his iniquity. He shall bring to the priest a ram without blemish out of the flock or its equivalent for a guilt offering. And the priest shall make atonement for him for the mistake that he made unintentionally, and he shall be forgiven. It is a guilt offering. He has incurred guilt before the Lord. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, If anyone sins and commits a breach of faith against the Lord by deceiving his neighbor in a matter of deposit or security or through robbery, or if he has oppressed his neighbor or has found something lost and lied about it, swearing falsely, and any of all the things that people do and sin thereby, if he has sinned and realized his guilt and will restore what he took by robbery or what he got by oppression or the deposit that was committed to him or the lost thing that he found or anything about which he has sworn falsely, he shall restore it in full and shall add a fifth to it and shall give it to him to whom it belongs on the day he realizes his guilt. And he shall bring to the priest as his compensation to the Lord a ram without blemish out of the flock or its equivalent for a guilt offering. And the priest shall make atonement for him before the Lord, and he shall be forgiven for any of the things that one may do and thereby become guilty. This is God's word. Please pray with me. Well, Father, once again, as we come to your word, which was written for us in a time long ago, but speaks to us today. As, as we look at a passage that is a bit unusual and, and is not our everyday household language, Father, would you give us a hunger? Would you give us a thirst to know what you have? Spirit, would you work joy in our hearts? For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I want you to think about a time when you were guilty. You felt guilty. Maybe you still do. But at a time when you did something and because of that you felt guilty. I, 
I remember as a, as a young boy, probably, probably Caleb's age, and I was playing with my, my grandfather Ross's owls. He loved owls, and he had these ceramic figurines, and you can kind of figure where this is going. Right? I played with it, and I broke a wing, and I just felt crushed. Ross's owls never going to forgive me. Well, I think great generation, or you know, greatest generation, Great Depression. I took some super glue and stuck that wing back on there. It's crooked. I, they've asked. Is that you say you can ask for things, you know, before we go. I think I want to ask for that. I want that owl with the broken wing. But I, I, I remember feeling guilty. I remember another time that I was an administrator as as a warlock warlock field service representative. That's not the warlock's not wizardry. That was anti IED electronics. Uh, as a, a contract, and I was, I was required to, to bring in hand receipts, and two people had discrepancies, and, and one person I accepted, and the other I didn't. I think I had grounds, but I remember wondering, did I do that person justice, where I said, no, yours is, yours is not right enough that I can't take it, and I remember him going away, and I just thought, well, I felt a little guilty, whether I was or not, and I thought, I'll never be able to, to, to know and kind of reconcile with that person. There's something about guilt that sticks with you. It really has two parts, right? There's, there's the objective and there's the subjective. There's the fact and then there's the feeling, right? You are guilty when you break a law and there's a penalty attached to it. This could be a civil law. There's, there's someone in our church who, I, I won't name his name, but he told the story at main camp, so I'm sure I can pass it along. He just, he, he loves the open road and he had a fast car at the time and he's going down a country road and there's nobody in sight and skies are beautiful, and he just puts that pedal to the metal. He might have hit 80 or 100, not quite sure, but he, he zooms by an overpass, and what does he see out of the rearview mirror but a, a white and black shadow back there? And he just, he just pulls over, takes out his license and registration, right? Just knew I was guilty. Could be a moral law that God's given. Coveting, hating your brother, stealing adultery. Right? And this is what happens when you've broken the law of a proper authority over you and you're guilty. You, you deserve a penalty. That's the reality. That's the fact. You can also feel guilty when you realize that you've done something wrong. You've caused damage. The story of a Royal Air Force RAF airman who flew countless bombing runs over Germany in World War II. And this, I can't remember all the story, but I'm telling it to the best of my ability. He was, he was part of these bombing campaigns. You know, the Allies were locked in, in desperate struggle, and anything went. And especially towards the end, there was intensive city bombings. And the bombing crews would drop tons of incendiary munitions that were designed to create fires, and they would flatten square miles, and, in, and sometimes create firestorms that would just absolutely ravage populations. It was, it was a terrible form of weaponry. But at the time, he was following orders. He, he in his mind, said, I'm doing what I have to do to bring the German war machine to his knees. But afterwards, he thought, what have I done? He was wrestling with the, the legitimacy of, of, of the tactics. And he was racked with guilt. And he felt like a monster. His guilt gnawed inside of him. He tried to atone for it. He couldn't think of anything to make him feel better. He, in, in an attempt, would go to an orphanage where all the kids were in, and hand out candy. Right, just something to make him feel better. And yet he couldn't. But that's the power and the grip of guilt. Now this is the last of the atonement sacrifices. Right? And, and I would say out of all of them, Perhaps guilt speaks to our society more than any aspect of sin right now. 
I don't know if you remember, way back talked about various perspectives, a way that, that, that the sacrifice atones for you, makes you right with God. There's, there's the propitiation, that the relationship is restored from God being rightly wrathful to, to please with you. Then, then you're purified, you're made clean, and you're, you're not going to be burnt up by God's his, his impressive holiness. Then there's the price, there's the damage that has to be repaid, and then there's the penalty, there's the just sentence that has to be Satisfied. I don't think the first two have much of a punch in our society today. doesn't mean they're not true. It's just if you were to talk to someone who's not grown up in a church, most people don't care if God isn't pleased with them. God, I'm in charge. If you're there, they don't care that they're dirty. You know, let me roll in it. Look at, look at the celebrations of Pride Month. Or the unashamed celebrating of all kinds of sin and selfishness and materialism today. But... But guilt, guilt is something that you have to deal with. It is not so easily let go. It's huge. And you know, we have an epidemic in, in mental health and suicide and self-harm today. You can, you can track the numbers about how suicide numbers are, are they're increasing at an alarming rate. The amount of people who are on, on, on medicine um, continues to increase for, for mental health. There's the mounting armies of therapists and and you see the surge, most of all, perhaps, as I look at it, the lack of purpose in young people. As a chaplain and also as a pastor who are talking to young people who, who have walked away or are walking away from the faith, they will say, you know, this religion, now I grew up hearing it, but it just, just doesn't mean anything to me. I know Jesus died for my sin, if that's true, but it, it doesn't do anything for me. And, and, and instead, this life is almost a, a culture of death. I don't know if you've heard this phrase, but die with a beautiful corpse. Right? There's this idea of it would be better to, to, to die young and happy than... It's okay. Well, where comes this hurt and this confusion and this misery? Right? This, this desire for, for self-harm in our society. And especially when we have a time when there's more wealth and opportunity and, and comfort. Why? Well, it's never just one thing. You can never just point it to, oh, it's that. There's many factors, but I, I think it's fair to say that much of what it has to do with is suppressing the reality of our sin and the guilt that seeps through anyway. As one commentator said, we have worked very hard in the post-biblical world to inoculate the conscience against worry and anxiety of guilt. Now, now this is not to say there's anything wrong with psychiatric medications and, 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 and counseling. There is a place for that. And think, you think about some of the, like uh, William Cowper and and Charles Spurgeon, if they just had some Prozac, maybe they would have had more effective ministries. We don't know. I mean, there's, there's a place for, for, the, for writing the imbalances of the brain. There's certainly that. But if we get to the point where, where we're just treating the symptoms and the symptoms keep mounting, you have to say, well, if God made you and you have a purpose and, 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 and you were to live that way, then to ignore it and push it down is a very perilous thing. It's trying to take something that God made for one thing and use it for another. Can, can you imagine if you, you bought a beautiful new Corvette and said, well, I'm going to use it as a dune buggy in the Pine Barrens? Or, or what if you, you had a, a new KitchenAid, ladies, and your husband said, hey, you know, can I use that to mix cement? Now, you might actually be able to do what you want for a little while. But in the end, you're going to break down and there's going to be pain What's well, the same when you disregard God's laws? You can't just ignore them and get on with your life without experiencing guilt. 
right? And this is the burden that you simply can't throw off. It will weigh you down and pull you further and further into its grip. But God in his mercy here gives his people a gift of sacrifice to remove their guilt. And so tonight we're going to examine the guilt of the sacrifice and and see how we can be freed of this burden. So what is the sacrifice? What's called the guilt offering, or some people would call it the restitution offering. They're they're both closely connected. In fact, um, ESV translates in 515 compensation. What others would translate penalty for guilt, they all come from the same Hebrew word, asham. As we were reading, you probably heard guilt, guilty, guilt offering, adding compensation. It's the same thing. It's the penalty for guilt. A word occurs 13 times in this short passage. Right, so what, it, what does it mean to be guilty? Well, someone who's broken a moral legal law deserves punishment or justice. And, and let's just look at the, there's three types of cases that this, this passage considers. Well, first of all, um, there's a specialized sin of, of which really can only be believers. It's breaking the covenant. It talks about a breach of faith. This is violating God's laws. And here it's concerned about the, the holy things. Literally, the holy of holy things, right? These would have been special items. These would have been food that's set apart for the Lord, consecrated to him. And and they're protected on one hand because they're special and they symbolize something. But they're also, on the other hand, set apart to protect God's people from judgment, to protect them. In fact, we'll we'll see um, in the next passage some more instructions on that. And we'll see a little bit more of the sons of Aaron who offer this unauthorized fire before the Lord and they're destroyed. We read about how Hophni and Phinehas would come and and they would just take what they want, right? They'd take the pieces of meat that they wanted and it may not seem like a big deal today, but that was unthinkable. They they were violating the holy things of God. In last week's daily Bible readings, because I was planning to do this last week, I had 2 Chronicles 28. You can look at there on your own time. But King Uzziah goes into the temple and offers the incense and it's the same word, breach of faith. He's guilty before the Lord. So there's there's those offerings. There's those that that guilt where you're you're sinning against God in, in a holy way. Maybe today you would talk about violating the Lord's Supper in some way and eat, eating or drinking in an unworthy manner. Perhaps you would say not giving God the tithe that He deserves. Specialized sins against the Lord, and then and then there's sins against the Lord's commands. The second part of what we read in chapter five. These would be unintentional violations. These could be perceived or possible violations. So if you have someone who has a sensitive conscience and even thinks that they're sinning and they're not sure, but they're guilty. Well, God has provided them a way that they can come and have this offering. And then there's sins against their neighbors. We read in chapter six. These are sinful actions that are not only sins against God, but in some way harm or put at disadvantage the people around you. What what you do hurts somebody else. And, And so... Each one of these incurs guilt. Well, what's God's teaching you here? Well, first of all, this sacrifice shows very clearly that restitution is necessary to remove guilt. This sacrifice, if, if you've been reading so far, you'll notice that it's quite different from the others. The others are focused on procedure. You know, the, what, what the priests do and what the, what the person offering does and where they put the blood. And you will actually see that a little bit later in, in the next passage here. But that's not what's going on here for this guilt offering. As commentator Gordon Wenham says, the focus is not on the ritual, what you're doing, but on the value of the animal. Right? A ram is offered to the Lord 
chapter 5, verse 15, valued in the silver shekels according to the shekel of the sanctuary. They actually had their own currency, perhaps a little different from the everyday shekel. And the focus here is on the payment and the value of the payment, right? It says you must give back a fifth, 120% of its value. Kids, that means if, if you were to take a dollar and you were to restore it, you would have to give back a, a dollar twenty for every dollar that you took. Now, this is really just wisdom and action. Uh, it had to be more than the value, otherwise it could just be a convenient loan. Oh, look, here's your bull that I've been borrowing for the last year without your permission and used for livestock and all that kind of stuff. Here, you may have it back, right? It just just to be this, um, you know, a, a, a loan without asking. Um, so, no, you have, you, you've inconvenienced the person and you have to pay more than the value. On the other hand, it's not so steep as if you are caught red-handed. In Exodus 22, there are laws about restitution for thieves that steal. And if you are caught stealing money, you have to pay back double. If you're caught stealing cattle, you have to pay back four or fivefold, depending on what it is. And so here, the amount is less, most likely in, in a way of encouraging and recognizing the disposition of the heart when you confess sin on your own. Kids, I'm just going to tell you, this goes for adults too, but kids, it is far better to confess to your parents than to have them find out. Elizabeth and I, we're much more likely to show mercy or have less severe discipline if our kids come to us or even tell us, did you do this? And they say yes. In fact, there was a time when one of our our children lied to us, and I, I knew the answer, I knew the answer, but I asked, and they still lied. And I said, you know, I, had you told me the truth, you would have gotten one spanking, and now you're going to get three. Because it's, it's more severe, because, because you're not confessing. And so you see here the Lord and his laws even encouraging the hearts of his people towards repentance. But what you need to notice clearly, most of all, is that sin requires restitution. Sin requires payment. Here, here's the formula. If there's, a, if there's a breach of faith, if there's a sin, that results in guilt. And the person must make restitution. And then there's a sacrifice for atonement. And then comes forgiveness. Now, the word for restitution is translated in in the Greek Old Testament, the Septuagint, as apatino. Now, the the Septuagint is is not inspired, but it's it's kind of like an Old Testament paraphrase, shall we say. And it can be useful for just understanding what was going on. And Paul uses the same word when he's writing to Philemon about Onesimus. If you remember, Onesimus was a slave who ran away from his Christian master, Philemon. And, and he, he runs away from his master. He, he makes it to Rome, somehow meets the Apostle Paul, who, who was under house arrest. And, and Onesimus becomes a believer. He becomes a brother in Christ, very dear to Paul. And at some point, Paul realizes and decides it is time for you to go back to your master. And so he writes a letter asking Philemon not to receive Onesimus back as a slave, but as a fellow brother. But even so, Paul recognizes the need for restitution. In verses 18 and 19 of Philemon, he says, if, if Onesimus has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, will repay it. Epitino, same as the word for restitution. I will pay the damages. You see, in order for there to be peace, there must be restitution. Now, why does this matter? Well, because so many people today think that if God is a loving God, then he should just let us all off the hook when we say sorry. Right? I, I don't want a God who holds me accountable for the sin and the damage that I've done. 
people would say the, the cross was either a mistake or it's not what you think. It's, it's not about changing God's mind, about making him in his wrath pleased with you, but it's about changing your mind. You realize how much God loves you this whole time and his sacrifice shows you that. Right? And this basic idea that's very popular out there, you'll see this in, in the emerging churches and deconstructing Christianity, maybe we call it postmodern Christianity, that, that God, if he chooses, can simply forgive sins. And he does. Isn't that wonderful? That's, that's the new gospel. Now, Lord willing, after a few more sermons, after the Day of Atonement in chapter 16, we'll spend a full sermon digging into the teaching of atonement and spend some more time on those claims. But I want you to see just from this passage how God, just forgiving, does not work according to his own revelation. Sin leads to guilt. Guilt leads to restitution. Before there can be atonement and forgiveness, there must be reparations. And you learn here that you, you must make restitution to your neighbor as well. And we'll talk about that at the end in application. But, but even more importantly, not just restoring horizontally, but vertically, each one of you is guilty before a holy God. And it doesn't matter whether you feel guilty or not. There's plenty of people, well, I'm not guilty. But this is a matter of eternal significance. Once again, we're, the sacrifices teach you beautifully that restitution is only possible through the blood of another. Right? In the Old Testament, you needed to kill a male sheep, a ram, to be made right with God, to make restitution. And the price of his life paid for the damage, the penalties of your sin. This is a debt owed, a, a punishment to be paid, and it takes the blood of a ram to clear you. Now, this would have been incredibly expensive. It may have been prorated like other sacrifices, so perhaps a poor person could have offered something else. But it wasn't a burden. In reality, it was a gift. The complaint today might be, again, there goes God talking about that guilt and sin. Why does he have to keep this up? Well, because the threat of God's judgment is so very real. And you will deal with the burden of your guilt, whether you acknowledge it or not. I mean, go back to the, all the ways that we feel the effects of guilt seeping out. And what does this sacrifice say to the person who's offered it? You bring this ram to me. There's been a death in your stead. The, the debt is paid. Look at verse 16, chapter 5. Right? He'll bring to the priest, and the priest shall make atonement for him with the ram of the guilt offering, and he shall be forgiven. You know that beyond a shadow of a doubt that you are forgiven. There is no question in your mind. There's no God coming back saying, well, you know, we didn't really actually settle this. We, we have to come to account now. It is covered. It was costly, but there is a receipt of payment that has been satisfied fully. Now, if you know your Bible... You know where this is going. You, you know the obvious progression that Jesus, the Messiah, is your guilt offering. You and I stand on our own guilty before a holy God. Let's, let's downplay it. Let's call it what it is. The ugliness of our hearts that wants to be God's. That all have sinned and fallen short of a God. Our, our very real need. Your guilt may look very different from the person next to you. But you are guilty just the same. And you need a guilt offering to pay the charges, to clear the damages, to satisfy the sentence. And, and Scripture is clear that in the end, a, a ram is not enough. Now, it was a picture. It was, it was a graphic portrayal of what had to happen. And, and at the time, it was an instrument that God used for his people who, who offered in faith and he accepted it. But it looked forward to the greater sacrifice. And I love how even the Old Testament speaks of this so clearly. 
We've spent a lot of time in Isaiah 53 where the Lord talks about a suffering servant. We, we won't turn there tonight. But after it talks about how the Lord has, has laid on him the iniquity of us all, how he's been bruised, how he, he's borne our transgressions and he heals our, our, our sicknesses. It says this in Isaiah 53.10. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. And he has put him to grief when his soul makes an offering for sin. He shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Now, the ESV could be a little clearer in this passage. The word offering for sin is the same word, asham, with all the guilty in this passage. You could probably translate it better. He, he will make him an offering for guilt, a guilt offering. You do see what the scripture says here? Is that part of your atonement, being made right with God, is the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, coming to bear your guilt? 2 Corinthians 5, 21, it says, God has made Christ to be sin for us. He's not becoming a sinner, but the object bearing the weight and the guilt of your sin. But that's what God did for you. He couldn't just wave his hand and forgive it. He wouldn't. And you wouldn't have been forgiven. Instead, he bore the awful load. And that is humbling, but it is also life-giving and is life-changing. Again, I don't remember exactly the story of the man on the bomber crew, but there was at one point, I believe this was in the 50s now, World War II was in the 1940s, and he walked into a church in England, and that day they were talking about how Christ was sacrificed taking away the guilt of your sin, the weight of your sin. And he said, it was like, I felt like there was a burden lifted from my chest. I, I am no longer guilty. Christ has taken my guilt. You could argue you know, whether the ethics of whether he was even guilty or not, but he felt it and he knew that he had someone, whether it was that or something else, who had taken his guilt. You may know of an author and evangelist, Becky Pippert. She came to know the Lord, I believe, in college and had a gift for evangelism. She wrote a book, the 70s, out of the salt shaker, still very helpful. She would give these evangelism talks, and, and at this time she was talking, and she was in her middle age, and she was talking about sin and redemption at a conference, and a young woman came up to her. And she said, Becky, God can never forgive me. I aborted my child. I took the life of my baby. Now, abortion is a very serious sin, and then you think about how much we rightly speak out against it. You think about the added shame that would put on you. And Becky was very kind. I can't remember exactly what she said. But she said something along the lines of, you know, dear, you're more important than you think you are, but you're also less important than you think you are. God gave his only perfect son for you. Is your sin really so great? That guilt offering cannot cover it. And as she talked through her about with the work of Jesus, like Pilgrim, Christian, in the Pilgrim's Progress, as she looked to the cross, the burden on her back rolls down and away. And here's the beauty of the Gospel, that Jesus offers himself as your guilt offering. If you claim him as Lord, and there is no sin that is too great or too costly for him to bear. In Jesus Messiah, God has made restitution for your guilt. And you don't have the right to bear that burden. I'll just ask those of you who are here today, do you have that peace? 
Do you have guilt that is weighing you down and, and it just seems like I cannot let this go? Have you claimed Jesus as your Lord? Have, have you admitted that, yes, I, I am a sinner. It's not just that uh, I, you know, I'm a good person who does some bad things or has some bad thoughts, but I, I, am, I am at enmity with God. God deserves to be angry with me, but he's come as a guilt offering and I, I claim him as my Lord. Do that today if you haven't. So as we close, let's just think about what, what this should look like in our lives. I want to... So two things. I want us to avoid, avoid false guilt and practice true restitution. False guilt and practice true restitution. Well, we've already talked about one sort of false guilt for Christians carrying burdens that Jesus has paid for. There's just no place for that in the Christian life. Of course, you want to be free of your sin. Of course, you, you groan and you yearn for heaven, but you may not wallow in your guilt. Jesus has taken that for you. You are forgiven. Now, you don't have the ritual where you slay the lamb and it's paid in full. But you have sacrifice. Jesus has died for you. Claim that promise. When you take the Lord's Supper, when you hold in your hands the body and the blood, and what that represents and how he feeds you spiritually by faith, claim this. I have no right to be guilty. This has been given for me. This is for you. We have no false guilt as followers of Jesus. Second of all, I just think in our time and, and place, talking about guilt, you need to talk a little bit about critical race theory and white guilt. Because that's what we're talking about today in, in, in the social media and society. Right? There are some helpful insights. But that worldview is a false gospel, which manufactures a false guilt and then gives you a false hope. Today, there is a worldview, really a religion or an anti-religion that, that divides the world into group of oppressor and oppressed peoples. Right? So you, you have men and women, you have white and you have uh, minorities, you have able and disabled, and you could go on. You have heterosexual and all the other rainbow. And makes me, except for now that I'm disabled because I have cancer, makes me one of the most uh, oppressive people out there just by being a white Christian heterosexual male. The idea is that by, by your existence and location in society, you're either an oppressor who benefits from your status or you're an oppressed victim whose identity is constantly being crushed. And, and one of the big axes today is, is, is black and white. Now, the idea is that because in our, our, the past, the, the racism of our country, that, that white people share in the guilt of the past, and, and then there's racist systems in the present that have perpetuated themselves, and and so we have this system of guilt where we need to be guilty and sit down and listen. Those people who, who descend from, from that line and the people who have been oppressed need to stand up and speak. And this has found its way even into evangelical churches. There's the National Evangelical Council of Churches or something along those lines. The PCA just disassociated themselves. But a year or two ago, the president said the thing that we need to, the Christian church needs to concentrate most on is racism. I thought, well, racism is, is very important, but... Aren't there, isn't there a more central, more central issue? And so you might actually hear something like this. Even in churches, white people need to repent of their whiteness and look to the minority brothers and sisters for forgiveness. Now, now we've talked about this in Sunday school. We're not going to spend a whole lot of time on this. And we should say that there have been terrible sins of, of racism or ethnic sins done in the past. We need to speak out about that. We need to acknowledge the effects that even come into the present. We need to speak out against true acts of hate against other people when they are here. But we also need to remember this. That guilt requires an offense to be committed. 
And the real problem in our racial tensions is not that there are people of different colors. That's not it. But that all people are sinners. We just happen to usually be nasty to people who are different than us. White people do not need to repent of their whiteness any more than a black person should repent of their blackness. I have a sister-in-law who's married to a wonderful man who's half Italian, half Jamaican, and she was actually in her church as, as these ideas were rolling through. And the pastor said, you know, we, we white people need to actually ask our minority brothers and sisters for forgiveness. And she turns to her husband and said, do, do I need to ask you for forgiveness? What are you, half oppressor, half oppressed? How, how does that work? Um, I would just recommend, if you want more on this, we don't have more time, but uh, the New Reformation by Shylin, a brother in the Lord, uh, has some very helpful things to say. He, he, he is a black brother grown up in, in that community, can, can really help, I think, further discussion. But when it comes down to guilt, we say, no, we all need to repent before a holy God and our neighbors. And, and when those sins are sins of raceness, or racism, or even better, we might say ethnic pride or hate, then certainly we need to repent. So why does this catch on? Especially along, notice how, how it's white liberal elites who are always talking about this? Well, I would say because they've rejected God. And deep down in their heart, they still have this guilt, and, and they don't know what to do with it. So here's, here's a way to, to take care of it and absolve themselves of this guilt, except it's not true, and it ends up often being even more racist than... And the curtain problem. But see, the biggest problem is that this is a surface and wrong solution to a deeper problem. We've rejected God and we stand guilty before him. And I would just say, if you find white fragility or those books interesting and compelling, consider a relationship with God. I'm convinced that it's the gospel and not critical race theory that holds the solution to racism and true relief for our guilt. So we don't want to practice false guilt when we have such a beautiful gospel. But then we do need to practice true restitution. You are free of your guilt. And yet, you are still responsible to make restitution on this world. You might be tempted to think, Jesus has borne the burden of my guilt. I'm free from all consequences. But notice how there there were two elements to the sacrifice of the guilt offering. The one is the ram before God. And that one would be, you would think that that is more what has been paid by Christ. That's the atonement and the forgiveness. Um, And yet the sinner was still required to make restitution to the sanctuary if he violated the things of God or to his neighbor. Now that principle still applies today. In Jesus, you are free from the guilt of your sins before God. But you must make things right if it's in your power. I believe this is what the Lord was teaching in the Sermon on the Mount when in Matthew chapter 5 he said, So, if you are offering your gift on the altar... And there remember that your brothers have something against you. Leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your guilt, or your gift. He may have been drawing from this passage, or he may have just been talking about a gift in general. But there's this idea of restitution. Now sometimes reconciliation is just simply an apology, an acknowledgement that what you did was wrong and you asked for forgiveness. Uh, other times, when, when you have sinned against someone, you've caused them damage, you must repay them. It's material restitution. It's the same thing to the Lord. If you've been stealing from him in some way, repay him. Now, now people of faith, you, you are wonderful givers. Um, you are very generous. But I will say, you know, if, if you haven't been giving the Lord tithe, if you're feeling guilty, I will say you should. You owe it to him. Whether it, there's exceptions, if your family is absolutely destitute, but... Generally speaking, we are, we are to give our time and money to the Lord, and so repent and make it right. 
Restitution is just like any other part of sanctification. It doesn't earn you one bit of your salvation. It doesn't. But if you have received forgiveness, here's the punchline. If you have been completely right and made fully restored with God, then naturally won't you want to do that with others as well? You know, when Zacchaeus meets Jesus, he's, he's seeing this famous teacher who, who welcomes sinners in. He goes, climbs up. He's, he's welcomed in. And, and as he receives the gospel, he says, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I've defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it full, fourfold. And what does Jesus say? No, no, Zacchaeus, you got this all wrong. I paid your guilt. There's no need. Sit back. Oh, no. He says, today... Salvation has come to this house. A heart has been changed. And so now it's going to go out and make restoration horizontally. So rejoice in Christ. God has paid for your guilt. Let no false guilt command your life, but joyfully make things right because you have been made right with your Father in heaven. Let us go out this week as disciples of Christ, freed from guilt. Please pray with me. Our great Father, we know, we hear every week that Jesus is the sacrifice for our sin. But may we think about how and why and the cost and the beauty. And may it change us even this week as we seek to live more like him. For we pray this in his name. Amen.